Halloween traditions. There's pumpkin patches, haunted houses, watching your favorite creepy creature terrorize a small town for the umpteenth time. Here at This Is Uncomfortable, we like to get your skin crawling with some money horror stories. Our first tale of financial fright comes from Abigail. Abigail Keel's day started out normally enough, which is how a lot of horror films start, right? She was sitting in her office in New York, just trying to power through those final hours of work, the hours that feel like they might never end. And as she's sitting at her desk, her cell phone rings. It's a number that I don't recognize, but it does have a Missouri area code. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, so I noticed that, but I don't know the number, and I'm like, don't answer numbers you don't know. I ignore the call. Fifteen minutes later, Abigail's in a meeting when she looks down and sees another call from the same number. She ignores the call a second time. Then, after the meeting, she heads back to her desk, and she gets yet another call, same number. She started to wonder if someone from back home was trying to contact her about something important. So I'm like, okay, I'm just going to pick this up. And there on the other end of the line is someone with news of something that I've actually had nightmares about. Hello, this is Agent So-and-so with the FBI. Don't want to alarm you, but uh, your social security number has been compromised. And, and, uh, you know, we've noticed something wrong. Abigail's mind immediately started racing. Did someone break into her accounts and take all of her money? Is someone racking up debt in her name? And oh my God, she was already annoyed just thinking about all the extra tedious work she'd have to do to take care of this. Errands that are the worst kind of errands, like getting a new bank and like trying to switch your money and like, you know, am I going to have to wait in line at the social security office to get a new social security number? Like The FBI agent is talking fast, but fortunately, he's also trying to be helpful. Just follow my instructions, he tells her. We're going to figure this out. Do not worry. He transfers her to a second agent who specializes in helping people sort through this kind of thing. There will be a police officer who comes to your house tonight to kind of go into this with you with more detail. But for right now, like, I just need you to answer my questions. And the questions the second agent asks her do make her worry. So he's asking, did you ever live at this address? No. Have you ever visited El Paso, Texas? No. Okay, well, we have a car rental that started in El Paso, and now we found this car with drugs and money in it. And, you know, have you had anything to do with that car? At this point, Abigail is freaking out. There's a car in Texas with drugs in it bought with my money? Like, what? Now she's not just thinking, oh, it's going to be a pain to change bank passwords or get a new card. Now she's worried... Is the identity thief going to get me in trouble with the FBI? I definitely started to get like hot, started to feel panicky, um, heart rate uh, escalating. But those moments are scary because you start thinking of all these worst case scenarios. Immediately, yeah. Immediately. And you're like, oh, like everything was fine just five minutes ago. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like if my social security number has been used in these illicit activities, you know, how do I prove that it wasn't me? I'm Rima Hreis, and you're listening to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. This week on the show, we are sharing two money horror stories. First, Abigail's worst nightmare, and then later in the show, a haunting wedding tale, the kind of tale where someone you love, someone who is perfectly nice and you've known forever, suddenly seems possessed by some unrecognizable force, a force that will pull off the most immaculate night, no matter the cost. 
Both of these stories center on trust and what happens when that trust is broken in the most unexpected ways. So Abigail is sitting at her desk, having just been told someone in El Paso is committing crimes with her identity. And it gets worse. They tell her that person seems to have also gotten access to your bank accounts. There's a clear sense of urgency in the agent's voice. He's like, just listen to me and I'll guide you through this entire process. Step one, he tells her. Close all the accounts connected to the social security number um, to like cut off access for these criminals. He says you, of course, will need to transfer the money in your account out of the account and then you can shut it down. I think I said like there's $9,000 in my account. And he was like, okay, great. So we need to figure out some way to like get that money out of the account. He tells her, hmm, that could be a problem because most banks have transfer limits. So she conferenced in her bank and talked to them as he quietly listened in. She told them all of her account info and the bank confirmed she wasn't allowed to pull out that much at once. So she hung up with the bank feeling confused. If she couldn't get the money out, she couldn't close the account. But the agent was still on the line and was like, okay, we have a backup plan. Here's what you can do. So because we're not going to be able to like electronically transfer all the money out of your account into some other account right now, um, we're going to just try to get as much money out as possible. He told her that the FBI has a special relationship with companies like Apple for situations just like this, that Apple lets people essentially buy gift cards as a way to transfer money out of their accounts you know, we'll be able to go back to them and cash out that gift card later. And they kind of, you know, are in this system and they know that sometimes we need to do this. So that's why there's these like limited number of stores that, you know, we could do this with. At this point, Abigail is like, uh, okay, like this guy sounds official. He seems to have a lot of answers. He's been super helpful so far. But Apple gift cards? It's like she's starting to hear the scary music creep in, like maybe someone is in the basement. But instead of tiptoeing down the stairs with a flashlight, she's sitting in front of her laptop, going over his questions in her head. Like, well, at no point did he ask me for my social security number. A scammer would ask for that. She looks at the number he's calling from, types it into Google, and yeah, it's an FBI number. The agent interrupts her sleuthing and says, look, we need to hurry and move your money before the criminal drains your account. You need to get the money out before the banks close at 5 p.m. today. She looks at her watch. It's already 3.30. We have an hour and a half to get this done. She grabs her coat, heads out of the office, down the elevator, and speed walks toward the Apple store. I'm like walking as fast as I can down the street Uh, down 40th Avenue towards Grand Central Station and it's cold and windy and I'm like trying to stay on the phone with him and talk to him. The wind's in the receiver and it's loud and um, people are like walking past me, kind of like looking at me because I'm like on this loud phone call. As she's rushing to the Apple store, he breaks down the plan. I'm going to need to purchase gift cards. The maximum amount of money that you can buy a gift card for at an Apple store is $2,000. So I'm going to ask to buy three gift cards. She'd still have some money left in her account, but they'd figure that out later. His instructions are clear, just three gift cards. And he told her, look, do not act weird. This is an open investigation now, which means we need you to keep everything I've told you so far to yourself. So if the Apple employees ask you why you're buying such expensive gift cards, 
He was like, I think you should tell them it's a raffle at your work. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. And he was like, so say that back to me. She is now standing in front of the Apple store, dress rehearsing with the FBI agent. I was going to go up to the counter. I was going to say, hi, I'd like to buy three um, Apple gift cards for $2,000 each. Yep, they're for a raffle at my work. And as she's standing there muttering to herself, I'd like three gift cards. Oh, yeah, no, they're for a raffle. I got just $2,000 each. She can't help but do the math. Like, I'm about to spend $6,000. I've never spent that much money in one place ever in my life. Probably the most money I'd ever, you know, dropped in one go was like rent and a security deposit for an apartment, which, you know, that is a lot of money in New York, but it wasn't 6000 And now she's not panicking about someone stealing her money. She's panicking about spending it. Everything had been moving so quickly. The only time she hadn't been on the phone with this agent in the past couple hours was when she took the elevator ride out of her office. And every minute she'd spent on the phone with him, she'd been terrified as he laid out all the ways she was about to lose everything and how she was at the center of an official investigation. But $6,000? That was enough to get her to call a timeout. Standing next to the entrance of the Apple store, she says, look, can I meet with you or meet with the police or just like anybody before I go spend all this money? I started to really like push back um, and be like, I'm not actually feeling comfortable with this. Um, so is there any other option? And he was like, ma'am, are you, are you refusing to comply? And I was like, no, I'm just asking you a question. And he was like, you know, he started talking. And as he was talking, I got an incoming call on my phone. Abigail looks down at her phone at the caller ID. The like person who's calling me is 911. And I was 911 like, is calling 911 me. is calling me. <laughs> and um, when I saw that, I was like, shit, like what? Like, who is this? Her heart's racing. She looks down at the call, and then she looks up at everything around her. There are police officers on nearly every corner. She thought at any moment, maybe they'd all sort of mechanically turn towards her and bring her in. The adrenaline was so high that I think somebody could have punched me in the face and I wouldn't have flinched. She picks up the call from 911. And on the other line is a voice demanding to know if she's refusing to comply with an official investigation. I was like, what are you talking about? I've been complying with him for the last two hours. And he's like, ma'am, if that's the case, then we're going to have to dispatch agents to come, um, uh, like, apprehend you. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm just asking for somebody to come here and assist me with this weird task that you've given. Yeah. But at the same time, this third person I'm talking to, I actually... I'm recognizing his voice. This person, claiming to be a police officer, calling her from 911, sounds suspiciously exactly like the very first person who called her before he handed her off to the FBI agent who sent her to the Apple store. So at this point, I'm talking to that police officer. I'm realizing something's not right. I'm getting another incoming call from the guy I'd been talking Mm -hmm. to for two and a half hours. And he was sort of like, did you just receive a call from the police? And I was like, I guess. And he was like, so are you willing to comply? Okay, so this is this is the moment where you start connecting the dots. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, I don't want to go into this Apple store 
and drop my debit card on the table and spend $6,000. And I remember being like, if the police need to come and get me, then great. Like, I would love to talk to them that. about what's happening. Yeah, I was yeah. like, send them. I was like, I would like to see them. <laughs> Abigail, who prides herself on being discerning, skeptical even, you know, a tough New Yorker, is standing at Grand Central Station in Manhattan, the realization dawning on her that, in fact, no, she is not as discerning as she thought she was. I was like, fuck you, man. Like, what is this? And he just goes, fuck you. <gasps> and then I knew I w- that was the moment where I was like, damn it. Like, this oh. guy is a scammer. And this three-hour journey almost has been, you know, all, all just an attempt to get my money. So now she starts looking for real officers. She spots a cop nearby, explains the situation, feeling a little sheepish, explaining why she believed the guy. But he said he was part of the FBI, and, um, you know, they called me from 911, and then and then the police officer was like, hang on, they called you from 911? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he was like, no, no, that's not possible. And I was like, well, it happened, you know? <laughs> he was like, no, no. If the police call you, it's going to be the local precinct number that shows up there. Right. 911 can't call you. That's a scam. Yeah, the scammer likely spoofed the 911 number through an app. I just remember him looking at me like, lady, duh, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, this was obvious, you know? This was obvious the whole time and I didn't see it. There was something about the sheer terror of thinking she was about to lose everything and possibly be accused of any number of things that did what fear does. By evolutionary design, actually. It shuts down your conscious brain and shifts fight or flight into high gear, survival mode. And survival mode doesn't come with a lot of nuance. It's just get to safety or die. And so she missed all the clues. Like, why would an FBI agent ask to be on a call with her bank but tell her not to tell them that he's on the line? It took something as absurd as $6,000 in Apple gift cards to get her brain out of survival mode and into the wait-what mode that saves us from things like this. But even knowing all of that, it did make Abigail second-guess her judgment. Like, really? I'm someone who could fall for this kind of thing? I would identify as, like, this very competent financial person and just competent person, period. Um, And so that's not who falls for scams, like, elderly folks or people who don't have a clear grasp of reality for whatever reason. Like, those are the people who who this happens to, not me. Surprisingly, though, there are a lot of studies out there that tell us younger people are, in fact, more likely to fall for phone scams, even though older folks tend to lose more. Even though the scammers didn't steal her money or identity, for a while, Abigail was too scared to tell anyone, let alone publicize it on a podcast. I was scared to even call my bank and tell them because I was like, they're going to think I'm so stupid. And what if I did lose my own money this way? Like, and I'm going to have to admit that to like other grown adults. (laughs) On top of the embarrassment and shame she felt, she was still spooked by the idea of maybe this fake FBI guy someday getting a hold of her account, even though she'd already shut it down. But that's the lingering effect of these sort of events. They can make you more wary and less trusting of yourself and of others. But after this whole saga, Abigail at least trusts herself 
to not pick up any more random calls. After the break, a wedding story where love and something absolutely terrifying are in the air. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. In college, Zinzili Sebanda was in a best friendship worthy of its own kind of BFF rom-com. It was clear the two of them had something special. I mean, we would say, like, she was like, I think you're going to be the godmother of my child, and I'll tell her that too. I mean, this is like a long-term friendship, a forever friendship. We're going to call her best friend Sophia, though that's not her real name. As undergrads, it was rare to see one of them without the other. They'd hang out all the time, sometimes even show up in nearly identical outfits. We were like two peas in a pod. Definitely. When Zinzale's mom passed away in 2016, Sophia was there at every moment. She was the one that was like calling my family. She was the one that um, packed my clothes for me. She was the one that when I got to the airport and I was like, I don't want to wait for the airplane alone. The school got her a pass so that she could stay with me until I got on the airplane. Oh, wow. Yeah, she was the one that was literally held me up at that time. And the recurring theme in this friendship came with a soundtrack of wedding bells. They'd often find themselves fantasizing about their future weddings, looking through Pinterest boards, weighing crucial decisions like what color scheme would they want, or if they'd opt for an outdoor wedding or a big banquet hall. Pretty much from the time that we met, we were always talking about how we wanted each other to be in our weddings, bridesmaids, um, do all of that. So it was basically inevitable that when Sophia got engaged in 2019, she made Zinzale her chief bridesmaid. Chief bridesmaid for Sophia's ultimate three-day wedding. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. To be fair, Sophia and her husband share a cultural background where an extended wedding celebration is kind of the norm. Still, Sophia had big expectations. And Zinzale was starting to notice just how much the planning was consuming her friend. If Zinzale had to use three words to describe Sophia's dream wedding. Extravagant, elegant, and curated curated most of all. I think with her vision, what maybe mattered more was probably how she looked, how her bridesmaids looked, and then the pictures. The bridesmaids would wear the same exact dresses, same jewelry, the same gold smoky eyeshadow. But but very subtle. Excuse me, a very subtle gold smoky eyeshadow. And they would all wear specific hairstyles. And they were going to almost be the opposite of what she had. So on day one, when the bride Sophia wore an updo, the bridesmaids would wear their hair down. When Sophia wore hers down on day two, theirs would be slicked back in a ponytail. And the third day, the bridesmaids would have braids with hair extensions. Sophia planned at least five photo shoots over the three days of her wedding. So the look had to be perfect, down to the very last detail. 
But of course, to be part of an immaculate wedding, especially as the chief bridesmaid, Zinzile was going to have to pay a chilling amount of money. For starters, three days meant three different dresses, which in total would cost about $600. But of course, those are just the dresses. Buying your shoes, paying for alterations, um, paying for your makeup, paying for your hair, paying for your own jewelry. And so how much money in total do you think you spent as a bridesmaid? (sighs) Probably almost $2,000. $2,000 to be part of her best friend's wedding. Apparently, the average bridesmaid in the U.S. spends about $1,200 on a friend's wedding. Now, Zinzile did not have that kind of money. She was working at a nonprofit when the wedding planning began, but as the big day got closer, she lost that job. She and her partner had to move into a cheaper apartment, cut back on their expenses. So $2,000 for a wedding? And it did feel a little bit painful, but I was like, you know what? It's my best friend, and this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, so... I have no problem paying that money. Yeah, it's like, this is what you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sophia tried to be supportive. Like, after they went to the tailor together for dress alterations, a $200 appointment, Zinzile sat crying in her car afterwards. Sophia noticed and later Venmoed her a couple hundred dollars to cover the cost. So she wasn't, like, blind to it, you know? She was very much aware. And that was a big help. Wedding dresses, specific hairstyles, jewelry, a bit much. But Zinzile was doing her best to manage it. That is, until one more thing got added to the pile. Not by Sophia, but by Zinzile's body. It all started about a year before the wedding. The first thing Zinzile noticed were her periods. They were heavier, more excruciating. Like, my cramps were really bad to the point, like, I'd feel them radiate in my back. And I would experience it, and I'm like, doubling over. And within several months, she'd gained about 40 pounds, even though nothing about her lifestyle had changed. She finally went to the doctor, who diagnosed her with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, relatively common hormonal disorder. The doctor prescribed her some medication. It was a feeling of relief, because I was like, finally, I can know what's wrong with me. And now I would find a way to get better. But before things got better... The medication the doctor put her on made things worse. Like, my hair was a big one. I um, had this patch of um, no hair in the middle of my head. I noticed it, and I was like, what the heck? As if my hair had been pulled out. Like, somebody came with a tweezer and, like, plucked out my hair. Zinzile was emotionally attached to her hair. She loved how long and beautiful it was. Now she barely even recognized it. It looked terrible. (laughs) It had thinned out. Like, it looked horrid. So after weighing the decision for several weeks, she felt like she had no other option but to chop it off. She set the appointment for just a few days before the wedding. When Zinzile told Sophia, she replied, Cool, you'll rock it. And so plans moved along. For the wedding, for the haircut that she hoped would save her hair. Until just a few days before the wedding... Zinzile got a text. It was Sophia. June 7th, 2021, things blew up. Sophia texted Zinzile and said, Hey, about that haircut. I wonder if you could hold off for a few days until after the wedding, since these styles, like the slick back look and the braided hair, have been agreed upon so far in advance. 
But for Zinzale, it wasn't just about cutting her hair. It was also about the things she'd have to do to it for the wedding that could ruin what little health her hair did have. Zinzale shot a text back to Sophia right away. And I was like, ooh, I don't want blow-drying my hair, and I don't want to straighten it either, um, or putting like any kind of jowl or unnecessary tension on it. Um, because it will be more damaged and less likely to salvage, I'm cutting it so that it can be healthy again and can have some confidence. Sophia responded saying, I hear you, but I was taken aback when you decided all this just days before the wedding. She goes on to say that they can be more flexible with how they style her hair, but she wants the bridesmaid's look to at least be cohesive. But Zinzale wasn't going to budge. She picked up her phone and sent Sophia a text. I will be cutting my hair as planned on Thursday. Zinzale told her it was hard enough to get an appointment last minute, and she didn't want to risk damaging her hair even more just so she could look like a clone in wedding pictures. We reached out to Sophia, by the way, but she didn't respond. Based on their text exchanges, though, Sophia was clearly annoyed. She didn't understand why Zinzale couldn't wait a few days to get a haircut, especially when Zinzale was actually the one who proposed to Sophia that they do those specific hairstyles. Zinzale's stress about her health, about her hair, collided with Sophia's wedding stress. And with these competing anxieties, neither wanted to bend. They texted back and forth a couple more times, until Sophia finally sent Zinzale one last text. And it was a long one. So this was the message that I got. After our recent conversations, I'd like to remind you of my boundaries. I've been very accommodating and graceful, but I can't allow you to disrespect me. As you know, my wedding has been something I've dreamt of for many years. My husband and I... Sophia went on to remind Zinzale of the time and money they've invested and how upsetting the timing of her haircut decision was. And I, while I sympathize with your health concerns, I'm not willing to compromise my vision or to accommodate you or anyone else when you could have informed me in advance and we could have found a better solution. Since this is something you can no longer commit to fully, I need you to please step down from participating in my wedding. You and Luke may attend the wedding festivities as guests, but you will not be included as part of my bridal party. Thank you for understanding and thank you for everything that you've contributed. Oh my God. What was your first reaction? Oh, I was so angry. And then I tried to call her. She didn't pick up. Um, And I was like, inconsistencies. I have showed up to every single thing that you have demanded of us. I have gone above and beyond for you. It felt like this utterly surreal moment. Like her best friend had been possessed by someone she didn't even recognize. Even though she was furious, Zinzale desperately wanted to talk with Sophia to try to work things out. The wedding was just two days away. But Sophia didn't return her calls or her texts. I remember I called my aunt and my sister crying because I was like, this is, excuse my language, some bullshit. I thought that she would be, what matters most is that my best friend is standing beside me. She feels comfortable, she feels good, and she's happy. A couple hours passed, and still no response from Sophia. Zinzale weighed her options. And then she shot Sophia a text. I was like, I'm not going to show up to your wedding as a guest. Yeah. You don't, and and a message like this, you don't want to be my friend. I was like, I may, I don't want you to, like, this is not what a friend would do. Like, I, I'm good. As Zinzale sat there, with no best friend, no wedding she'd been so excited about, she also realized the one thing she does have now is a pile of useless wedding clothes, jewelry, and shoes. Things that cost her a lot of money, 
money that could have gone toward basic necessities instead of shimmery gold heels. She calculated the exact cost of all the things she would have worn. So to be clear, that does not include money spent on the bridal shower or other festivities. It was $808.94. In her fury, she was doing the math down to the penny. I was like, fuck it. I want my money back. So she picked up her phone and she texted Sophia. I was like, okay, thank you. I will be sending you a full invoice of the money spent on dresses and alterations, and then I will be dropping them off to you at your earliest convenience. Sophia didn't acknowledge her text about the invoice. The next day, Zinzale was venting to a friend about all of this, and her friend, who's a paralegal, turned to her and said, You could take her to court. And he just mentioned that willy-nilly. Oh. And I was like, but what court would take this? I was like, I'd, in my mind, I was like, Judge Judy? Because <laughs> that's what I knew. I was like, do I apply for Judge Judy? And um, he was like, no. He was like, you can just do Minnesota's small claims court, conciliation court. It's less than 15000 that she owes you. You just have to put it in and just see if you can get your money. And I was like, oh. Sure, Zinzale wanted the money, but she also wanted justice. I kind of just wanted quote-unquote, my day in court. She was going to do it. I sent her a message being like, seeing as you've not responded to me, I will be submitting a small claims court file. And yeah, I guess I'll see you in court. Sophia also didn't respond to that. The courts didn't set a date for the hearing until six months later. And because of the pandemic, it'd be virtual. So my friend that's a paralegal gave me advice. He was like, what you need to prove is that you kind of kept in contract. Even though we don't have a written contract, you kept in contract with her. And so that was my proving, that I kept in contract and that I had met every single one of her requirements off us. I see. Um, Of like being a bridesmaid, essentially. Of being a bridesmaid, essentially. She collected the necessary receipts, the damning screenshots, and she compiled them in a neat document that included several exhibits to demonstrate her case. The day of the hearing, she is sitting at her dining room table wearing a white blouse, a crisp black blazer, and sweatpants. She could feel her heart racing as she clicked the button, join meeting. And almost immediately, she's directed to a virtual room with Sophia, the defendant, to see if they can reach a settlement. It was just me and her. There wasn't even anyone else in that room. It was like they were in this parallel universe. The one person Zenzele used to confide in the person who comforted her when her mom had passed, was now sitting in opposition to her in a virtual courtroom. Sophia said nothing. So Zinzale took a deep breath and tiptoed in. I was like, what are you willing to pay? And she said, I'm not willing to pay anything. She was like, this is so stupid. I don't know why you would take me to court. And I said, I was like, because I spent so much money on dresses and shoes that I'm not going to wear, I do not want to wear. They were getting no further on the Zoom than they had over text before the wedding. After two minutes of failed negotiations, they were redirected to the actual hearing with a court administrator. The administrator welcomed them and informed them they'd each have five to ten minutes to plead their case. Zinzale went first. I was going through my exhibit saying that there's proof that I had kept up with every single requirement that she wanted as bridesmaids. She pointed to her first exhibit. Here are copies of the physical receipts, she told the court administrator. This is proof of my purchases. 
scroll down to exhibit two so you can see so the first dress for the ceremony was um i would say probably like a chiffon and then we had a pair of nude strappy heels um from target and then the she proceeded to exhibit three text exchanges between the two of them to demonstrate her commitment as a bridesmaid exhibit four showed the progression of her hair loss exhibit five included wedding inspo pics sent from sophia the defendant in Exhibit 6, more text exchanges demonstrating the petitioner's full commitment of time, money, and energy to nearly all bridal events. Then, it was Sophia's turn to make her case. She then brought up that I had told her too late that I was cutting my hair. And then a weird thing that she did was that she included a screenshot of me wearing a wig for my birthday after the wedding. Because um, I was wearing a wig, but my sister had bought that for me as a birthday gift. Sophia had combed through Zinzale's Instagram for that picture. Essentially, her argument was that Zinzale had been intentionally difficult. She was the one who proposed the hairstyles, and she refused to comply, even though she could have. Then the court administrator asked, did she ever verbally say that you would kick out a bridesmaid if they did not agree to your requirements? And she answered no. Then the hearing came to an end. It would take at least 90 days to receive a decision. Zinzale waited and waited, and then one afternoon on May 5th, she was sitting at her desk when an email notification popped up on her phone. It was from the court. Ooh, my hands were shaking, and I was like, I don't even know. I was like, I don't even know. So it's like, view document. I clicked the view document. I'm like, download link. I'm reading, and then I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Zinzale had won. I called my husband and I was like, I won! And he was like, you won what? And I'm like, I won the case. She owes me. I get my money back. And were you expecting to win? No. <laughs> no. I was like, the courts are going to look at this and be like, yeah, it kind of is a stupid case. <laughs> right? They're going to be like, neither of y'all win. Yeah, weddings. Exactly. Because to me, I was like, this is giving Judge Judy. Not like an actual <laughs> court. This is giving the cases on Judge Judy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zinzale recently received her check in the mail, $808.94, and redemption. Well, sort of. There are also times when she feels a pang of sadness, times where she wishes she could just call up Sophia and share what's going on in her life. Sophia understood her in ways that most people don't, and she misses that. Sometimes she replays the events in her head, wondering how what felt like a dream, seeing all the plans they'd made in college come to life, how quickly it mutated into this bad nightmare. Sometimes, you know, I'll go back and I'll read the message of her saying, like, I'm not compromising. Maybe it wasn't directly speaking to me being like, Zinzi, I've compromised for you enough. Um, I think maybe she was feeling like, no, I've compromised so much on the entire vision of my wedding that I'm done compromising. I would like to believe that she must have been dealing with a lot. And that's been the most painful part of all of this. The fact that Zinzale feels like she didn't earnestly try to understand where Sophia was coming from. I think it has made me realize that I shouldn't assume, mm. whether negative or positive, on yeah. how what somebody's thinking, what somebody's feeling, and that I should ask. Because I think I'm at fault at this sometimes where I come to the conclusion myself in my head. Mm. 
I think a lot of times friendships and relationships fall apart because there was no transparency, because you didn't decide to be vulnerable. You didn't decide to have those really serious conversations. Mm-hmm. Dude, interpersonal relationships yeah. can be hard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's so hard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> After talking with Zinzale, for weeks, I kept thinking about this whole saga. How at first glance, it's this petty drama worthy of a Judge Judy show. Which, side note, ironically enough, when all of this went down, Zinzale had posted her story on Reddit, and a producer from Judge Judy actually approached her asking if they wanted to come on the show. She said no. But thinking about this story... What seems to have happened here is that two best friends had really big feelings about two different emotional things in their lives that happened to collide at the same time. And it can be really hard in those kind of moments when the stakes and the emotions feel high to just like hit the pause button, to actually talk about the thing instead of escalating or quickly casting each other off as irrational or inconsiderate. So, yeah, maybe the next time your best friend gets married, asks you to spend $2,000 on their dream wedding while you struggle through some health problems, and you think the requests are horrifyingly bonkers and illogical and you just want to write them off, maybe you can just take a second, ask questions, be curious. And if that fails, then, yeah, sure, hit up Judge Judy. All right, that is all for our show this week. If you want to reach out to me and the team, by the way, to share any thoughts or share your own story, you can always email us at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. We love hearing from y'all. Also, do not forget to sign up for our weekly newsletter if you haven't already. There's always great recs in there for things to read or listen to or watch. In this week's newsletter, I write about my own money horror story, which unfortunately involves a car accident and some core decision making. We'll also share a few more stories we collected from listeners and folks on social media. So be sure to check that out by signing up for our newsletter at marketplace.org slash comfort. This episode was lead produced by me, Marque Green, and hosted by Rima Kreis. Rima and I wrote the script together. The episode got additional support from producers Alice Wilder and Peter Bellinon-Rosen. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Karen Duffin. I'm also our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. Our intern is Kunal Patel. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Donna Tam is the director of On Demand. Francesca Levy is our executive director of digital. And our theme music is by Wonderly. This is Uncomfortable is supported in part by the Cy Sims Foundation, partnering with organizations and people working for a better and more just future since 1985. All right, one more thing before we go. The reality sunk in. It was instantly like, oh God, what did I just do? Like almost instant remorse. Next time on the show, one coach with no pay and very few resources tries to lead a ragtag group of gamers to victory. We were like (laughs) all these random misfit people coming together to play a game. That's next week on This is Uncomfortable. All right, we'll catch y'all then. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. 
So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy.